real, real conversation, conversation and some hard truths. Hard truths. Gangs, Gangs, drugs, drugs and, guns, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. Welcome back, everybody. Nathan Rome is with you. And today, we got the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services, Mike Ellis, on the program. Minister Ellis was a 12-year veteran of the Calgary Police Service, where he spent eight years as a constable and three as a sergeant in patrol. He mainly focused on community policing and worked with Calgary's most vulnerable citizens through the Alberta Secretariat for Action on Homelessness. Minister Ellis specialized in judicial administration law and incident command and trained fellow officers in how to help victims of crime. The minister has studied in the Bachelor of Policing program at Charles Sturt University in Australia. He also obtained a management certificate from Mount Royal College and a leadership certification from the International Association of Chiefs of Police. And Minister Ellis is married with three kids and represents the constituency of Calgary West, of which he was initially elected in 2014 and has since been re-elected twice. He was sworn into his current position as the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Services in 2022. So welcome, Minister Ellis. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks for having me on the program. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you yeah. in here. Um, I want to make sure we get through a few topics today. Um, so I'll make sure I get you out of here on time. Yeah. But I uh, want to talk about you to start. So if you could start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about you and where you come from. Wow. Well, I think as I, I told you, it's not uh, it's not very common for police officers to talk about themselves. So, uh, you know, for you and your audience, just bear with me. Um, let me just say something that, uh, you know, I love... I loved being a police officer. Um, you know, I, I started my career back in 2003. Uh, prior to that, I um, was a operations manager for a security company. Um, prior to that, I, you know, it was just a, we'll say a young 20-some-odd-year-old kind of figure out what my, my life was going to be. And did a little bit of um, acting, did a little bit of uh, modeling, although I'm uh, much older now and uh, <laughs> certainly people would be surprised. But anyway... Um, you know what, had a really good time just kind of growing up. And, and uh, when I was an operations manager for the security company, I always felt a bit of a, a calling, like there was just more to life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, you know, operations manager, it paid really well, had an opportunity to, you know, potentially become a partner, if not a, an, an owner. But I always felt as though I could do more, I could help more. And, you know, for those who police officers who are, um, you know, listening right now, it's, it's just some, it's a feeling that comes from within. So, um, you know, I was, I was looking for anything at that time. I was looking for being a peace officer. I was looking at, you know, volunteering, anything that I could do. And, uh, you know, my dad uh, encouraged me to, to apply. And so I did went through the process, um, obviously was successful in getting hired. And I tell you, I, I know it might be tough for some of the younger police officers here right now to, to understand this, but I tell you, uh, I would have done that job for free. Um, that's how much I loved it. And I worked the streets of Calgary from 2003 for the next couple of years when, when we really didn't have any resources available. Like mm. when I see that, you know, you know, you and I were talking earlier about mental health and like, there was no, there was nothing to help people with mental health. There was nothing to help people with mm. severe addictions issues. All we had on the street at the time was either give somebody a ticket 
or uh, figure out a way to move them along or incarcerate them in some way. Um, obviously, we had a, a new vision that came along in the police service under Chief Hansen, who basically said, you know what, we're going to find a way to help people with mental health. We're going to find a, help, a way to help people with severe addictions issues. And those who commit the crimes, those who are truly the bad people, they're going to go to jail. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, and, uh, and then from there, you know, spent the, uh, you know, two and a half years working downtown, um, wanted to expand my career a little bit because, you know, for anybody and anybody listening right now, you know, you spend two to three years in an area. Um, you know, I found myself when I was working the street, uh, dealing with people with severe addictions issues. The, the crack was really the prevalent drug of the, the street at that particular time. Um, you know, I found myself becoming very short <laughs> with my family and, mm. and I was like, wait a second, this is not who I am. And so I moved, uh, into the arrest processing area, uh, where I developed a, call it an expertise in judicial administrative law. And for those who are listening, I mean, I was really the bail hearing guy representing the crown. I know the crown prosecutors do that now. I will say that uh, over the years I had a hand in, uh, kind of moving that back to crown prosecutors. Cause my thought at the time was, uh, Hey, let the police police and let the prosecutors prosecute. And, and so, uh, um, but that doesn't take away from the fact that to me, it was like being in school for two and a half hours and learning what I learning, what I did. Yeah. But I, I got, got a time when I was there. And I think it's very important for your listeners to, to know this. I saw people at the depth of their, really their despair. So when people come in on a five day crack binge, when people had, you know, been incarcerated, as we all know, um, usually drugs or alcohol is a, a factor when they're, when they're um, arrested. And that's uh, unfortunately uh, the case. So anyway, um, you know, I had, when I talked to them and I was reading off their charges and they had to be sober when they went in front of the justice of the peace. And usually those folks were, were devastated uh, mm -hmm. with what, you know, like I did what? Oh my God, I can't believe this. And it was at that moment I realized those people when offered help would have taken that help. Yeah. No was help. There was nothing available. And so when I eventually became minister of mental health and addictions, as an example, that's why I put in the virtual dependency program in the jails here in Edmonton and other jurisdictions all throughout Alberta to, to, to offer people hope and opportunity when, when indeed they are incarcerated, especially if they have an opioid addiction. Mm -hmm. Anyway, from there, I went on, uh, went on to learn a different style of policing. Uh, obviously when you're downtown and you might know this, Nathan, when you're downtown back up, might be 30 seconds away. Yeah. Uh, when you're out in the outlying areas of the city, uh, backup's not 30 seconds and away. No, it's so, not. Yeah. So I had to learn a different style of policing. I obviously dealt with a lot of, uh, domestics and suicides at that particular time, which is common that you see kind of in the, the outskirts of, of, of any municipality. And, and from there, you know, developed a bit of a, expertise in, in, um, in, in kind of incident command, which is something I, my goodness, I, I just, I love that, uh, kind of, um, it's kind of, you know, for your listeners, uh, it's controlled chaos, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. So that controlled chaos and kind of taking a critical incident and then resolving it and making sure everything is kind of handled and all the pieces are put into place. And, um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I guess somebody recognized me somewhere and tapped me on the shoulder to start moving up the ranks and, and I don't know if you're interested, but I mean, uh, I can talk about how I got into politics, but... Um, yeah, well, we'll get to that yeah, okay. for sure. But, but that's um, kind of my policing <laughs> background. Uh, and the incident command, actually, I mean, that fits very well with what you do now, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. that's right up your alley now. Emergency services, right? I mean, yeah. you know, God, God forbid we have a disaster, somebody has to be in command of that, right? Yeah. Now, we have, now let me just back up a bit. I think for our listeners here, I think everybody understand. 
it no, it's not the minister who is the commander in charge mm-hmm. of the critical incident. Um, obviously, with our uh, you know Alberta Emergency Management Agency, uh, obviously we, we there is an incident commander there. Obviously, as the minister, I'm the person who is making sure that there are necessary resources available, and yeah. funds need to be available. But um, yeah, I mean, would I like to be the commander? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> We get you a cool hat. Yeah, the yeah, charge yeah. there. Go stand over there in the corner, right? That's what you're telling me. Um, but going back to yeah. like even when you were first looking at getting into this career, mm-hmm. one of the points that you kind of made, or at least I think you're alluding to, is this job is like a calling. Yeah, and that's one thing I've had a conversation with many guests before about is even the recruiting style for a lot of things now. It's almost just a job, and they they're like, hey, just yeah. come here, work eight to four, and and that's it, and you know. Uh, you have all these other things that you can do in life. But I think for some people who uh, want to get into this profession where it's very violent some days, um, you see people at their worst, you almost need it to be um, something that, you know, feels like it moves you to go and do it because otherwise you can get burned out very, very quick. And that was my point about the two and a half years downtown. I got burnt out really quick. Yeah. I mean, it was... Uh, you know, forgive me for not knowing what uh, Edmonton or other jurisdictions are, but we, you know, we call them cold code calls in 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 Calgary. But that's mm-hmm. basically a major incident. And you know, there was a time where once a week we were getting, you know, a gun call, a stabbing, a knifing, whatever. And there's no time to call the tactical team. It was like you had to deal with it. Yeah. And um, so, but that can be draining on somebody. Right? Yeah. Well, and that reminds me of yeah. I did a couple of years with the RCMP before jumping to yeah. Edmonton. So I know what it's like when you show up on scene, especially as brand new on the street, right. your early 20s, you're like, I've never dealt with any of this. Right. <laughs> and right. you're, you're the law. That's it. That's it. So, um, which is why, you know, yeah. and I, you know, this is certainly not trying to offend any of your, your, your listeners here, but you know, if, you know, if I had a, you know, if I had a, a magic crystal ball or something along those lines, I mean, my, my belief is that, you know, you, you should be about in your mid twenties when mm-hmm. you join the police uh, for the reason that you talked about, it, it would, you know, if you're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, and this is not really for me because I, I was more closer to 30, I think, when I joined. But, you know, having spoken to some of those younger folks uh, who were classmates of mine who were 18, 19, 20 years old, they had a lot of regrets because they weren't, you know, they said, like, I didn't know anything about going into somebody who'd been married for 20 years and yeah. try to resolve their their conflict. And yeah. so there there is something to be said to gain a little bit of life experience before joining the job. And I, I think that's, you know, should be part of the recruiting. Yeah, a hundred percent. I had that exact experience. Yeah. I got, I was 24 and somebody called and said, you know, uh, we're having our domestic fight and they needed me to solve it. <laughs> and I go out there and I remember telling them, it's like, I'm half your age, like yeah. grow up. Right. <laughs> and tell them to solve their issues. And sometimes so. you, get, you don't, you don't get the respect. That, yes. You know, because I mean, if you think about it, if you've been married, if you're, 50, 60 years old and you've been married for 30, 40 years and then some guy 20 years old is showing up or, you know, why am I going to listen to you? Yeah. So it's tough. It's challenging. And a lot of the people you deal with, they can, I want to say almost sense that you are junior on the job. Yeah. Um, Combine that with like, so even if you look older, but you're junior on the job, they can tell just by your command presence and the way you handle things. But then if you also look you know, baby face. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting any respect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, hey, look, I mean, if, uh, I know we're having a coffee here, but I, uh, um, I, I do have some war stories, but I don't think it's appropriate for radio. <laughs> <laughs> All good. 
Um, I did want to ask though uh, about you're saying your father encouraged you to apply. Yeah. So do you have any family involved in law enforcement? And then also, um, you know, I guess if he's encouraging you to apply, he's he's for it. But mm-hmm. do you have any family that's like, no, don't be a cop. That's pretty dangerous, or didn't like the police in general. So uh, third generation uh, law oh, really? enforcement. Yeah, okay. yeah. My uh, my my dad. Um, he was. Um, uh, he started his career off uh, for a couple of years uh, in the 1960s in in Calgary. Um, obviously, uh, people don't know this, but we actually used to have a Alberta Police Service. And mm-hmm. It was called the Alberta Highway Patrol, is what it was called. So um, at the time, police officers, I think he at the time he told me the story about he was making maybe maybe two hundred dollars a week or something along those lines. And then uh, the Alberta Highway Patrol was created, and uh, they needed to some people so it was kind of like hey we'll offer you $300 a week and we'll make you a corporal and he's like all right see you later yeah. so he ends up joining uh the um uh Albert Highway Patrol um you know and then you know there's an entire history there but ultimately in the end um he uh, retires I think inspector in charge of court and prisoner security which is caps which eventually turned into the sheriffs right? okay so um, so that's, that was him. And then my, uh, his dad, my grandfather, um, he was a military police back in the day. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a bit of a three generations there. This is very interesting how you have a connection to like these, the potential for a provincial police service, but also the sheriffs. Oh, isn't, so. isn't that interesting? I mean, uh, you know, kind of, I know my dad, have, dad and I have kind of just kind of chuckled about that because, yeah. you know, back in the day when the, you know, so the history about it was, you know, they were with the Alberta Highway Patrol. I think my dad had re- achieved a certain rank. I forgive me for not knowing what it was. And I think when the government at the time was going to disband the Alberta Highway Patrol, it, he was pushing back, saying, "No, oh, no, this is a big mistake and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's interesting how things have kind of come in yeah. circle here, right? Um, so maybe speaking on that, though, what got you into politics? Because I know how much we talk about politicians at work. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, hey, what's the transition? Um, there? Yeah, I'm, I'm not like I'm not unlike you. I mean, I'm sitting at Tim Hortons and you know talking about politics and mm-hmm. complaining like anybody else. <laughs> so, so here's the long and short of it. I, I'm going to do my best here. I, I know uh, this can be quite a long story, but I'll do my best to shorten it up here. So, um, I was in an area called uh, District Two in Calgary. Um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, you know, there's politics involved in policing. I think anybody listening is going to know that. And so I was in the process of becoming a staff sergeant, um, tapping, getting tapped on the uh, shoulder to, to go higher up, of course, and, um, uh, did all that I need to do. And it, well, actually, let me back this up a little bit. So in, in kind of 2010, 2011, I had joined uh, a, a local politician's uh, board whose name is Ron Leiper. He's a current member of parliament, but he was actually the MLA for Calgary West at that particular time and minister of various portfolios. Um, he, he, you know, I, I don't know, I was just doing what any cop would do, offering my opinion, you know, contributing in whatever I could. Um, so then one day he calls me up after a night shift and says, uh, Hey, uh, nobody knows this, but I'm thinking of retiring and, um, you know, I'd like you to succeed me. I'm like, what are you talking about? I have no desire to do this. I'm totally content where I'm at. And he's like, well, no, I, I kind of see something in you. And, you know, I, I really would like you to do this. So I gave it some thought, right? So yeah. I, I talked, I talked to my family and, you know, I think my dad had a, an opportunity way, way, way back in the day under Peter Lougheed. 
And uh, he said no. And so I thought to myself, well, you know, let me, you know, I don't want to go through life with regrets, so I'll give it a shot. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'll give it a shot. So remember, I'm just a simple police officer, uh, not a rich person, nothing in life has ever been given to me. All I've ever done is, you know, work hard and uh, try to help people is really what I've done in my life. So anyway, I go and um, uh, partake in a nomination. In this nomination, it, uh, it, uh, I don't win, right? Mm-hmm. And I had, I had a lot of members of the community that were very uh, supportive, uh, again, born and raised in the area, police in the area, kids go to school in the area, uh, absolutely a member of the community. So I won't get into some of the details, but a long story short is that, you know, I kind of identified fraud and corruption within the process. So I wrote a letter to the, the, uh, the premier at the time, the executive director at the time, basically outlining, uh, you know, how the system can be defrauded. These are the allegations that are being made. No different than I would as a cop, as you would do if you saw mm-hmm. something that you saw was, was wrong. Um, submit the paper. They, they come back to me and they're like, yeah, hey, um, you're right. Oh, okay, great. So what are you going to do about it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to let the board decide. Okay. So this is, this is, now I'm getting really, really taught about politics at this particular time. I didn't know that the, had no idea that the premier at the time had a preferred candidate, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, long story short is it had to be unanimous, was unanimous. I, I, I do not win. Um, they said, okay, well, we're going to do a runoff. I said, what do you mean a runoff? I said, you know, I'm going against some pretty wealthy guys. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I, I've taken time off work. I don't have time to do this. Not like a tactical runoff. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no, it's a tactical <laughs> runoff, right? So we're, gonna, we're basically going to hold the entire nomination election again, right? Yeah. So, uh, and the people, you know, the, uh, you know, I'm not going to give any names, but, you know, the person that was uh, suspected will say, um, you know, and, and that they identified, you know, may have, um, you know, uh, done something that might've been not, not, uh, not up to any standard or mm, okay. um, they said they were going to run again. I said, uh, you know what, you know, here's basically, you know, you know, here's my middle finger. I want nothing to do with you guys. And I'm going to go back to policing. So I go back to policing and my, my own business. Again, I was, I told you I was getting about to get promoted to, to staff sergeant. And I get a call out of the blue. This is a couple of years later, by the way. I get a call out mm-hmm. of the blue from uh, Premier uh, Jim Prentice. And he's like, I know you don't know me. He says, but, uh, you know, the Premier of the province. I'm thinking, am I being punked here? Yeah. Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, what, why are you calling me? Right? I've heard about you. I've heard of principled stands you've taken. I've heard you're an honest, ethical, uh, ethical guy. You're the guy that I want on my team. And I'm like, Okay. Wow. Okay. I'm kind of blown away here. So, uh, but here's the, here's the, here's the bit of the caveat here is, you know, he gave me 24 hours to decide. So I have to get a hold of my boss. I have to get a hold of the chief of police. Pretty life-changing oh, decision. Yeah. Life-changing decision. Um, anyway, long story short is, uh, he drops, a he, you know, I, I, I say yes with the backing of my family. Um, this is on, this is like a Friday. I have to make that decision by Saturday. And then uh, Sunday, I just, I guess, time to, I don't know, think some more. And then Monday, he drops this election, right? Which is the four by-elections in 2014 that mm-hmm. I was now one of them. And then, um, you know, I won uh, by, by 300 votes. Um, I mean, that was very humbling. I, it was unbelievable. Um, but again, I, I, 
you know, born and raised in the community. I went, I, I, took, I took the time. I talked to people at the doors. I wanted people to get to know me. You know, mm-hmm. hey, look, I'm just one of you. I'm just your neighbor, right? I'm just your, you know, my kids go to school with your kids, all this sort of stuff. Anyway, it was very humble. They won. And then, uh, and then, and then 2015, and we can talk about, you know, mistakes that were made and stuff like that. And, you know, when the PCs lose government, um, you know, that's, that was uh, not something I was expecting, mm-hmm. right? But I was very humbled by my constituents because I went from winning by 300 votes to winning by 5,000 votes, which was wow. remarkable. Like, I mean, yeah. I was taken aback by that. So then, you know, I, I know you have some more questions, but I think this uh-huh. is, this is very, you go ahead. I think this is very uh, important is because, you know, the Calgary Police Service came to me and said, you know, hey, like, what you going to do? I go, what do you mean, what am I going to do? I said, you know, I had all these people put their faith and trust into me. I said, I, I said, what, like, what do you, what do you expect me to do? I, said, I guess, uh, I guess you're going to have to retire. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to retire. So, you know, I gave up, you know, gave up my pension. I gave up my going to coffee. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even to go sit in government. It was to go sit in the third party for crying out loud. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but then I said, I said, I got to make my most, I got to make the most of this. Do I sit, do I sit back and do, you know, do nothing? I mean, I could have for four years. And, you know, when you sit in opposition, you kind of complain, you throw stuff against the wall and you kind of just see where it falls. I mean, that's really what you do in opposition or, you know, I can, I can make a difference and, and you don't know this, but I mean, it was me who raised the the flag on the opioid crisis mm-hmm. in Canada. It was me who had the first bill to, to, uh, um, uh, address the opioid crisis, which is the pill press bill. Um, you know, I went to other jurisdictions to try and get them to do similar type of bills. Um, and this was all through my contacts with, uh, you know, Calgary Police Service and people that I used to work with. I mean, uh, I had a full, uh, one one um, officer I used to work with. I mean, he was telling me, he said, fentanyl is killing us. I'm like, fentanyl? I said, mm-hmm. what, what is fentanyl? I said, you know, when I was on the street, Oxycontin was the drug of choice. So, so anyway, I had to a lesson learned on this. Anyway, so I do that. And, uh, and then, and then the people of Calgary West were very, very clear to me that they wanted one single party going into, uh, going into the next election. So a lot of people don't know this, but it was actually me and a a Wild Rose member at the time by the name of Derek Fildebrandt, who had the first, not just the first conversation, but they called it the beer, right? So we went and had a beer together, um, and it was like on a, you know, like minus 30 on a Monday with no notice. And we had like 200 plus people show up. And I was like, oh, wait a second. In the media, I was like, wait a second. Mm. There's something here, right? So at that point, uh, former Premier Kenny, you know, kind of heard about what, what we had done. We had received media attention at that particular time. And so he reached out to, um, uh, reached out to me and uh, we talked about, um, you know, what this could possibly look like in the future, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, history was, was made. And then the other thing, too, was uh, Serenity's Law, right? I mean, you might might be aware of that, but, you know, a young young girl who had died uh, in custody um, um, under, under horrific uh, circumstances. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, I was the only politician in that entire building, and I'm not trying to, you know, slander anybody or anything along those lines, but... Um, you know, I, I, you know, I reached out to the family. I mean, it was devastating. And so I offered up a, 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 you know, kind of a, something that was, was going to help all children. So Serenity's law basically was, was that, was that, you know, 
you cannot turn a blind eye to a child yeah. that is at risk, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, although the the legislation at a particular time said contact a director or something along those lines, nobody knew how to contact that director or how that process would work. So the, the simple change was that, and this is all for the law enforcement, was simply, if you see a child at risk, call the police. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Right? Okay. So anyway, and then, uh, and then I'm told by the speaker's office, I think that I'm the the only person in the entire Westminster system, which I was absolutely mind-boggled to hear, that has had a bill passed as a private member as opposition, as well as in government. And I guess I also had a bill, the Police Act, right, mm-hmm. which was recently passed that was under me as well. So um, I, I think for any of your listeners, some people think it might be simple. It's actually very hard. It's very complex. Uh, it's almost like winning the lottery to even get an opportunity to have a bill. So um, I was very humbled by that. So, yeah, I don't imagine it's a very easy process because no. you always hear about these things and then they either just completely disappear or you hear about like one getting through. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, really, in any session, you, first of all, you'd have to win the lottery. Uh, so out of all the private members, uh, there literally is a lottery. And if, and then there you go, one, one to like 60 or 70 or something, whatever that number is. But the point is, is that, you know, you know, every, you, you might get the first and the second bill, maybe mm-hmm. every session. So when you think about that in an entire four years with a spring session and a, a fall session, I mean, it's, it's not even 10 that might even get through. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so just for time's sake, mm-hmm. I do want to make sure, uh, maybe we'll start with kind of the bigger, broader picture. So your vision for policing in Alberta, cause I think it's going to touch yeah. on most of what yeah. I was going to ask, but can you kind of walk us through where you're at right now? Sure. I know reform is a big thing, but what's what? What are you looking for in the future? So the look, if there's anything for um, your listeners to take away from this, and I don't care where you are in, in the world, where you are in, in in North America, is that policing can no longer be seen as an arm of the state, mm-hmm. and must instead be seen as an extension of the community, and if not even an extension of the community, a reflection of that community. So, you know, it's very simple to sit there and say, you know, community policing, but it's more than that. It's the level of engagement that those officers have with the people within that community. So, you know, the the paradigm shift that must change is that when, uh, you know, officers show up, it should be a level of, um, oh my God, thank you. Thank you for being here. You're here to help me, not a level of fear that sometimes is in other jurisdictions, right? So you must wrap your head that we are not an arm of the state, but an extension of the community. And that's why I'm the first person to sit there and say time and time again, uh, no politician can and should be directing law enforcement. Mm. They're, you know, they, they have a role to play in the system. Obviously, as a politician, we have a role to play in the system, which is creating those laws, but no one should be directing law yeah. enforcement as to what to do, right? So anyway, um, but that's the overall vision is what I want to see, uh, what I want to see. And then ultimately, um, you know, we were, uh, we were very uh, successful in Calgary years ago um, by having that kind of thinking. And, you know, we received, uh, I think at the time, it was like 
a 96, 97% approval rating with the citizens, which is unheard of, mm-hmm. right? Anywhere in North America. In fact, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure when I was down in the United States one time, there was a senator I was talking to. I don't think he even believed me until he Googled it. And he was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> but, but, but I'm also seeing that. So we're talking, we're in Edmonton right now. And Chief McPhee, who's a great guy, I mean, him and I have talked. I mean, he has a very similar vision, and that's why you're seeing this level of engagement that EPS mm-hmm. is having with, with its citizens. And, you know, I, I'm proud, you know, each and every day when I hear stories of the level of engagement. And it's, so it's not about that heavy hand of officers coming in and, you know, putting on the black gloves and, you know, scaring yeah. anybody. It's, it's, it's really about saying, hey, I'm here. How can I help you? And how can we, you know, get you to the necessary resources, right? Yep. Yeah. So, and, you know, I know you want to talk about this too, but, you know, that's why I was, that's why I was out the other day with the sheriffs and out with, mm-hmm. uh, out with the EPS folks. And we're walking in the Chinatown area and walking amongst the, you know, the vulnerable population and talking with them and engaging with them. And again, it was not about, so 20 years, you know, whatever that was, you know, 20 years ago when I was policing, it was like, you know, beat it, move along. Again, I had nowhere else to put the, take the person, but that's not what that, that's not what we're doing right now. What we're doing right now is is a level of engagement, so that when that officer has contact with that vulnerable person, it's more how can I help you? If you have an addiction issue, here's the resources available to yeah. help you, whether it be treatment, the VODP. Um, you know, uh, you know, if you're not ready yet, we can get you on the, you know, some, some folks have do, you know, I, I, it's hard to believe but some of the vulnerable people do have cell phones. Well, okay. I want you to download the digital overdose responses. Well, one of the things I saw too, and, uh, it's one of the previous guests I was chatting with, one of the, the complications we run into as police, uh, is the information sharing. Yeah. So if I have a person that in front of me that needs whatever resources or services it might be, if they won't tell me something, but say, I know their name. Because yeah. a lot of the people we deal with uh, are still wearing their hospital bracelets. So you get their name off of that. But if I call the hospital, they'll say, I can't share information with you. It's like, I'm just trying to get this person some help. Like, come on. <laughs> I'm not looking to open a credit card in their name or something. So the information sharing has been a huge issue among the different uh, resources that are out there. And especially like when it comes to the shelters too. Yeah. Sometimes people will share with you. Some of them won't. Yeah for various reasons of how yeah. they see police. So, Well, we, I mean, we're working on that. Uh, but here's what I would say about this. So when I first was Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, um, you know, there was a lot of this stuff that you were just talking about there. And I was, you know, again, the old commander in me kind of went, okay, you know what? I want, I want the chief of police. I want the head of the fire department. I want uh, EMS. So I want them uh, at the, the legislature and we're going to have a talk. Mm-hmm. And really, it was just about, look, once we get everybody in the same room together, we realize we're all engaging and dealing with the same people. Yeah. And then when, and the good news is, is that when through having these conversations, they were willing to share information. Great. Great. Yeah. Right? Because we don't need duplicate services. I don't need you going to a call and then, uh, and then you know, unnecessarily having fire show up to the call or, or EMS showing the call when EMS wasn't required to show up to the call. I mean, that's, that's just inefficient, right? Yeah. So, so having a, a bit of a, we call it a command team of, of, of leaders of, of those emergency services organizations to sit there and say, hey, guys, I want you guys all to be on the same page. And, you know, make sure that we're properly dispersing the resources. And, and you know what? As long as there's approval within the lawyers will say, uh, you know, if they're sharing, I always say, 
I can go on tangents about lawyers, but anyway. <laughs> but as long as we're sharing information regarding, um, you know, the, the lawyers say it's okay, then that's great. So, you know, my my understanding through talking to Chief McPhee is that actually was was quite su- successful. And plus, you're probably aware of the Health I Am app yeah. as well, yeah. right? So, I mean, that I was in, literally just had to download that because I worked an overtime shift last week. Yeah, <laughs> so I had yeah. to download it for that. But that's 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 meant to help you you guys on the streets, mm-hmm. right? In, in order to Make sure that you can op- open up that app and see what kind of resources are resources are available. So, yeah, you know, we're we're doing our best though. So, on that, um, and kind of talking about some of the partnerships that are out there, um, how is the sheriff program going so far? I think we're a couple of weeks into them working with the EPS. Any updates on that? So, I wish I could break uh, break the news to you. So, I have I have received a report. I just have not. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I just got it. Um, all all I'll say is what my chief of staff told me, which is the numbers are are very impressive. So I'll take that as a, a positive. Okay. Right? Um, <laughs> but I don't have any details on it. I apologize. Um, I will say this, and I'll just say this. Um, you know, you know, I mean, you 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 work on the street, right? I mean, it's you you hear kind of word of mouth sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say this: the the compliments uh, that my office has been getting, that Chief McPhee's office has been getting, is is again, part of this positive shift that I'm seeing here in, you know, uh, in Edmonton. So these, you know, these, you know, there's only 12 and I don't want to to downgrade that, but I mean, there's 12 and then there's, I think about 12 EPS officers mm-hmm. and then they're, they're working in different shifts, but it's that visible presence and the feedback that we're getting from uh, people in Edmonton are, Wow, you know what? Um, you know what? I was walking in the pedway and I saw I saw the officers there. Thank you, just thank you. That just that just that knowing that they were there made me feel more safe. Yeah, and you know, and then the level of engagement. You know, when the, when they're dealing with somebody who might be about to, I don't know, uh, you know, smoke some crack, crystal, whatever the case may be. And the fact that they're able to kind of intervene and uh, make sure that that person is going to get help or take them to you know a shelter or take them over to the overdose prevention site, whatever the case may be, as opposed to saying, hey, beat it and move along. Mm-hmm. Again, that's that paradigm, that shift, right? And when we start doing that and the citizens are starting to notice that, then to me, that is uh, starting to achieve the goal that we're looking for, is for Edmontonians to feel more safe. Yeah. And then when we deploy the ones in uh, Calgary, we want the same thing for them to feel more safe. And they're, so they're looking at a similar model for Calgary right now? Yeah, I I, uh, I know that the the in Calgary, the sheriffs well, had their last training day the other day. I think they're I think they're deployed now, to be honest with you. I think, okay. Or they're, or they're about to be deployed. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll just kind of move on to this other topic that I want to make sure to talk about too was provincial police service, mm-hmm. but also kind of in that uh, First Nation policing. So the provincial police service, is there any idea of like how certain that is that that's going to happen? Does that depend on a whole bunch of things still? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, I'm being very, very transparent here. There is no decision that has been made mm-hmm. in regards to the provincial police service. Um, what we're doing right now is we're trying to empower the municipalities. So um, we've, uh, you're probably aware of Grand Prairie as an example, right? Yeah. So that was one of the things yeah. I had right here is I saw there was some funding for them to kind of explore yeah. the idea of opening. Well, well they've already service. explored the idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, on their, you know, without any funding from the Alberta government, uh, they went and did an independent study. Mm-hmm. And through that independent study, um, it showed that, um, you know, a municipal police service, 
would probably better suit them than the existing model that they have. Mm-hmm. So um, they try to, so tomorrow, so March, March 7th, um, their city council is uh, going to be uh, deciding whether or not they are going to proceed or not proceed with the re- recommendations uh, from this report. Um, uh, we as the Alberta government want to empower the municipalities. Uh, and that's why I went up there and said, like, look, if, you, if this is something that you do choose to do, then we will have a $9.7 million grant available to you. Because as you're probably aware, there are or startup fees and yeah. transition fees and stuff like that. So we don't want that to be a, a barrier for you. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, in talking to them um, and the mayor and stuff like that, they're, they're actually, they're, they're pretty, they seem pretty excited about it. To be honest with you. But well, we're trying to empower other municipalities as well. Yeah. And you know what? It makes sense. I, I the only thing I, I wonder too, and this is an article I read uh, by Kevin Sear. It's a guy I follow on LinkedIn uh, or commander in lower mainland. And he did a, a paper with a few academics on just the difference between like U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, policing and Canadian when it comes to militarization. But a big part of that was talking about the fracturing or I guess just how many services they have there. So I'm wondering, you know, is there a, a point where say every single city in Alberta is like, I want my own police service. Do we become too fragmented do you have a, a like a consistent standard? Um, you know, you start getting people from different jurisdictions. They have different budgets, different training. So, so what does that look like? Yeah, so a couple of things there, right? So obviously, Grand Prairie is a, a larger municipality, mm-hmm. at least in Alberta. It's obviously not the size of Calgary or Edmonton, but still, still a larger municipality, comparable to at least, I'll say, Medicine Hat and, and Lethbridge as an example. Um, so they're... they're there may be some concerns regarding that. I mean, I would, I would just say, although, well, hang on, let me hang on a second. I mean, Tabor has its own police service yep. and, and Camrose, Camrose has Lent its own Bridge, police service. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they, they have been, um, successful, at least uh, from what I'm aware of. So what we've been looking at is, is the regional approach, right? So, uh, as a region, let's use Camrose just as an example. Um, the chief there, actually, him and I used to police together back in Calgary back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's Camros, and then there would be the region surrounding Camros, which would you know, be the county and stuff like that. So to me, it's always about resources. It's not really necessarily about the uniform that you wear. It's just that if we have a critical incident, right, it's about how do I make sure that I get um, the necessary support services, and support yeah. services, as you know, the canine, the tactical, whatever that case may be, I, you know, I all this sort of stuff in a reasonable amount of time. So, um, this is what I'm asking, uh, if these, uh, municipalities so choose to look at, you know, what is going to be best to, f- to, to fit and suit them in, in regards to the RCMP. Let me just say this. The, you know, as you, a former RCMP member, I have nothing but respect for the wonderful men and women who are the front line mm-hmm. and, and, I can tell you, uh, you know, the calls to service, the pressure that they're under, um, you know, it's not, it's not about, um, I'm going to say it's not about money in Canada. Um, there just does not appear to be enough RCMP officers to fill the, the vacancies, yeah. quite frankly, right? Yeah. And the stories that I have heard, um, I think they're having trouble even filling some of their class classes at, at, at depot and stuff like that. And I would say that there's no, there's no reflection on, you know, recruiting or anything like that. But, you know, we talk about the younger generation. We talk about, uh, we were talking about that earlier. And, you know, I mean, if I'm, you know, a young 
young young kid from from Calgary who's you know basically lived in the city my entire life and, uh, and I don't know where you were first uh, posted but I mean all of a sudden you're posted to I was in Okotoks it was a nice place yeah there you go right <laughs> well, you're one of the lucky ones yeah so I'm gonna say that right but if <laughs> but if you weren't um, I, I'm gonna say that that becomes a, a challenge when it comes to re- recruiting yes I, I think I might be speculating but I, I would say those are some of the anecdotal stories that that I have heard right. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll I'll commend the RCMP for for trying to do their best to keep people within a certain province uh, and stuff like that. But I, I still think that those are some of the challenges that they're facing. Now, let me just add, add this as well. A lot of people don't know this, but but the the Public Safety Canada has signal checked, right? They, it's it's so again, it's not about the the wonderful men and women. Public Safety Canada has signal checked, saying, hey, you know what, um, you know. We, we might be looking at maybe not doing, uh, you know, contract policing or at least pulling away a bit. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why you have, you know, an all-party committee in British Columbia that said, hey, we need to explore an option other than contract policing. You have Saskatchewan that says the same thing. You have New Brunswick, New, uh, Nova Scotia who all said, hey, you know, we need to look at something other than the contract policing. So we in Alberta, um, you know, our contract runs out in uh, I think 2032, I believe it is. Yeah. Um, like it, it would be, negligent if if we didn't explore all the options that we have available. And you know what? And maybe status quo is one of the options. I don't know until these independent studies and we hear back from all these municipalities. But if all of a sudden 2032 comes and Public Safety Canada goes, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. Then you've you done and, nothing. Yeah. And then yeah. you and everybody else are going to go look at me and say, well, why didn't you prepare for this? Yes. I'm like, well, that's what I'm trying to do. Right. And so I wonder too, uh, on that, and you brought it up, the all party committee in BC but then when you look at uh, Alberta, it just seems completely divisive, this topic. So I don't get why they get along on the other side of the mountain. And then you come here and it, it's a totally different world. Well, Nathan, <laughs> I need another hour. To yeah. Talk about that. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question, right? I mean, like, look, we're trying to, like, here's like, we talk about divisiveness. Like uh, we're trying to, we're trying to empower uh, the First Nations communities, right? Yeah. Like the, the First Nations communities, there's, there's, there's at least a handful of them that have reached out to us mm-hmm. and have indicated that, you know, they're looking at self-governance. They're looking at uh, policing in their, 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 uh, their, their people on their, on their land. Sure. However we can do to help you. So, so, you know, obviously you talked about Chief Blake. So we mm-hmm. have, um, six, six, or sorry, pardon me, um, uh, Sutina, right. Yeah. Who is the constituents, or sorry, it's right next to me, Right, uh, the their, their, the land is right next to my constituency, and I've been out to that police station. It is uh, fantastic. They do a wonderful job, and I'm working with them to try and find better ways so that they become even more independent. They get more services, all this sort of stuff. But then you have Siksika, who has also reached out to us, indicating that they're looking to do their own uh, policing service. Uh, we've had up here in this region. I think uh, Enoch has mm-hmm. reached out to to me, saying, "Hey, we're looking at doing something." So. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to force something on them. I say to them, "You, t- you give me your independent study. We'll go over this, and let me figure out how I can help you and how I can empower you, so that you can, uh, you know, police your 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 own your own people." So, you know that. You know, if we would talk politics for even a second, that's the difference between us and we'll say the the, the other party. We're we're trying to uh, empower these municipalities. We're trying to empower the First Nations, and. Um, you know, I, 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 the other party's not. I hate to say that, right? Well, yeah, and one of the things I found interesting talking to Chief Blake uh, was just the amount of, I'll say, different 
legislative bodies or acts that they have to kind of operate under right. or answer to. So was, they still fall under the Alberta Police Act, but their treaty agreements with the feds. Yeah. So there's like some funding they have to ask for over here, some over here. It seemed like a, a giant mess. <laughs> it is. kind of operate in. I mean, I, mean, I uh, just as a, you know, former cop, and I, I think I might've been, I can't remember if it was Chief Whip or if I was the uh, minister um, of mental health and addictions, but regardless, you know, I, I I think I was talking to the Solicitor General at the time because I know Chief Blake had reached out to me just 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 to remove some barriers in the Police Act mm-hmm. so that they can hire more people. Like they needed some ridiculous approvals from various organizations, both Canadian and it, it was it was unnecessary hoops that they needed to go through just to hire some people. So I know that, that that was corrected, but you know, working with Chief Blake, there's more that can be done. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's surprising was the uh he was talking about specialized units, like they're not allowed to create yeah. based on, I guess, legislation. Yeah. And then that leads to issues with retention because then yeah. people go to Calgary or wherever else because they want to do some different things. So well, um, and pension too, right? I mean that's right. And and so um, you know, I, I've uh, reached out to some some folks that, uh, you know, people forget too, that I used to be working, the, I used to be, we're in the association. I used to, to, you know, I got friends in the association yeah. and stuff like that, right? And you know, I was part of an association. And, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that uh, uh, Chief Blake, you know, that make sure a couple things, right? That their their officers, of course, have proper representation. I think that's absolutely important. But, you know, he was saying to your point that he was losing a lot of people to the larger organizations, Calgary mm-hmm. Edmonton as an, as an example. So, you know, when I, when, I look, when I think of police officers, you know, at least the ones that I, I meet, you know, there's a lot of people that think, oh, it's about the uniform. It's not about the uniform, in my opinion, right, is they care about stability. Yeah. And they care about their pension. You, if you provide stability in the pension, I, I don't care if I'm wearing the red uniform or a blue uniform, you mm-hmm. know, my family's taken care of, I go to work, you know, I'm able to help people, you know, that's, that's all that. So anyway, I'm working with them on that and uh, I'm... Uh, um, I'm hoping I'm hoping we can to make some progress here in the near future. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so just the last thing, because I know you do got to get going, yeah. but how can people follow you or your work or you got a book? You want you're gonna write a book <laughs> soon? You know, it's Nathan. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I have been. You know, I've had a front row seat to everything from 2014 onwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I mean a front row seat, I mean I was there for floor crossing over. Uh, as kind of a objective, kind of not involved, but here I am, uh, all the way through to again, you know, one of the instigators of kind of starting that movement of of, of United Conservatives, um, you know, all the way to the bills that I was talking to you about, and to what I'm doing right now, which is the oh, well, let me just say this, right? I mean, even the mental health and addictions, right? The recovery oriented system of care, I mean, this is known internationally now as the Alberta model. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, so you know, when Premier Smith, uh, when I was talking to her about this, and and obviously she was she was very impressed with what we had done here in Alberta, and you know, again, I could probably talk for another half an hour and all the great things we've done, but it's called a recovery oriented system of care. It's known internationally as the Alberta model. Um, you know, she said, you know, I, I really need you to come in and kind of fix, um, not that it's broken, but you know, just really take take law enforcement to another level. So that's my objective here as well, is right to really take this to another level. Again, 
not an arm of state, an extension of the community, and really becoming a role model for Canada and North America when it comes to policing. Mm-hmm. So that that's really what my objective here is. And, you know, I got announcements. I'm not going to tell you, but I got some announcements <laughs> coming this week. Uh, and I got some more coming uh, throughout uh, the next few weeks. And again, this is all about, uh, you know, making sure that the police officers are part of the community. They're not to be cast away. They're not to be shunned. Um, it's to to let uh, let the public know that when there when there's a crisis and an emergency, those officers are there to help them. Mm-hmm. They're honest. They're ethical people who are representatives of the community that are going to help them through whatever crisis they're going through. So there's a lot of work that we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that there's not going to be bumps. Not going to saying that everything is going to be perfect. Uh, but I really, truly believe that we can we can make a role model here, no different than what I did in, in the mental health and addictions, and really take this to another level. And I really do believe that we can have an impact positively on the rest of Canada and, and North America. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link up to Alberta's uh, government website so that they can see like some of the announcements that get yeah. put out there. Um, but I want to say thanks for coming in today. Thanks. So we'll look to have you on again. That sounds good, Nathan. Look forward to it.